0: I don't know if you all would, would call this a, a vision or a nightmare, but uh, I, had, I had this image this week. I imagined that I was walking into this big room ready to take a standardized test, you know, like the SAT, right? The, the room was big and white and had all the warmth of a prison hallway. The desks were spaced out in this room, but not for COVID reasons. They were spaced out in that keep your head forward, don't look at anybody's test, we'll tear yours up, you'll have to go home kind of way. The test was on the center of the desk when I made it to the desk, turned uh, face down. When the proctor announced and hit the timer, I turned it over white paper, blue ink, three sharpened number two pencils, two-hour time limit, true-false, multiple choice essay, I could hardly hold the pencil in my hand because my hands were sweating. It was a test on inclusion. And as I started making my way through the true-false section, I, I, I felt like I was doing okay. i my, my heartbeat started kind of getting back to normal. True or false, God loves all people. True. True or false, uh, the love of God in Christ is good news intended for the entire world, but there are some exceptions. False. True or false, false. All people of every background, lifestyle, or ethnicity is made in the image of God. True. Well, then I moved to the multiple choice part, and it it got a little harder, but I felt still like I was doing okay. Which of the following should be denied full citizenship in the church of Jesus Christ? A, black people, B, gay people, C, women, D, people who grew up Muslim, E, people with tattoos and purple hair, F, none of the above. In the eyes of God and in the hope for God's church, which of these groups is the most superior? A, educated people, B, white people, C, married people, D, landowners, E, none of the above. Well, still, I thought I was doing okay. And then I got to the essay question. The essay question, 30% of the total grade. I read the essay question and and my hands started getting kind of moist again, and my heartbeat started racing again. Here was the essay question. Recount a story from the last six months when you actively befriended, included, engaged, and invited someone different from you. When did you invite a tattooed hairstylist to church? When did you invite gay friends to dinner? When did you spend the day with a Jewish friend? When did you call the new Asian family in the neighborhood and invite their child over for a play date? In a 300 to 500 word essay, tell the story of your active love and inclusion of someone your tribe would consider an outsider. I find essays so much harder than true-false. In our story today, Philip's caught right here. He's got this clear identity inside his tribe. He's Jewish, but he's part of a small group uh, within the Jewish community who call themselves the way. They're followers of the teachings of Jesus and believers that, the, that Jesus of Galilee is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of Israel. But part of what's so clear about the teachings of Jesus is the way Jesus modeled this kind of radical inclusion. He, He ate with sinners. He included women in the movement. He befriended tax collectors. He told stories, and sometimes in the stories, the Samaritan would be a A hero. I mean, over and over, the outsider is brought inside the Jesus story and often made the hero of it. And yet, like every people group, the Jewish history has been a tribal story. And so one of the earliest and loudest fights of the Jesus movement was how broadly inclusive can we be? How, how outside is too outside? And in today's story, we have the embodiment of an outsider. But his otherness is not a cliche. So, so listen to the range of ways, that this broad range of ways that he is different from Philip. The eunuch is a dark-skinned man from Africa. Philip is a Jewish resident of Israel, so we've got racial and geographic difference. The eunuch is wealthy. I mean, at least he's well well off enough to have a car and driver. Philip's on foot. Listen carefully to this part, because I'm not going to be real clear. The eunuch had a surgical procedure that changed his sexuality, making him no threat to the king when he was doing errands for the queen. It left him with a high-pitched voice that you would have before puberty and other physical indicators that he had never gone through puberty. This would be obvious to everybody he met. I'm going to just leave it there. If it, I think you get it. If you don't, see me after. I'll fill in. Philip, on the other hand, well, let's just say he had a much deeper voice. You see, this, this is no cliche, right? He's referred to his scripture as the eunuch, but it's, it's a lot more complex than that. He is an outsider in nearly every way. He's black and wealthy, eunuch and educated, foreigner and forbidden. But his sexual difference is his most glaring otherness. And by the urging of God's Spirit, Philip runs to the outcast guy. Did you catch that part? Then the the Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So, Philip ran up to it. So, here's the scene. We've got Ethiopia's Minister of Finance. He's taken personal leave from his important job to take pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem. He knows before he goes that there are going to be limits when he gets there, not qualified. Not past here. Restricted access. Can I see your credentials please? But still there is this curious and empty place that only God can fill. And so he makes the journey. And the visit to the Holy City creates an even deeper thirst. And so on his trip back home he's a passenger in the chariot but reading And learning from the Isaiah scroll. And and that's when Philip hears and answers God's call and runs, runs to the chariot. He's jogging alongside the chariot. And he asks, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless somebody guides me? And Philip hoofing it along next to the moving chariot. And the minister of finance invites him into the chariot to sit next to him. The outsider now had somebody to sit next to him. The Isaiah passage he's reading is all about humiliation. Denied justice. Life denied. The eunuch asked Philip. Who's the prophet talking about here? As you can imagine, a a passage about somebody humiliated would have gotten his attention, right? Somebody who's always been sitting at the margins of society. And Philip told him the good news. He told him about Jesus of Nazareth. He told him how Jesus was the one Isaiah was anticipating the one who would launch a new age of salvation and the chariot continues on the conversation continues on the chariot comes to a place with some water and the eunuch says to Philip what's to prevent me from being baptized Can I be inside this faith story? Is my name included? Can I be one of the Jesus followers? What's Philip going to do? It takes somebody on the inside to invite and include somebody on the outside. And the truth is, there is a bucket full of things that would prevent this baptism. There is a ton of tradition. There are numerous barriers to this baptism taking place. For one, you've got to consider the Scriptures. Deuteronomy 23, 1. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of God that's what the bible says i can quote more scriptural reasons why this guy should be included this isn't easy this is not easy but the jesus movement called the way hadn't exactly ruled on this yet this is as i said this is one of the tensions that the acts the jesus followers in acts are having to deal with who can be in Must you become a Jew before you can become a Christian? You see, they had seen Jesus' radical inclusion, but not sure how that fits. It just hadn't been done before. That doesn't fit. And it takes somebody on the inside to run and sit next to somebody on the outside to welcome them into the family, and it is risky indeed. When I was in seminary, I have told y'all before, I served a, a small church in Warrington, North Carolina. I was part-time youth minister while I was a seminary student. Warren County, North Carolina, the poorest, most rural county in all of North Carolina. It was a slower life, as you can imagine. So on occasions, I would go uh, fishing at Lake Gaston with Reed. Reed was retired. He he had bought a little lakefront uh, piece of property, but he, he wasn't able to afford uh, to build on it. So he would just pack a lunch and get in his truck and go but mostly alone and sit on the dock and fish by himself. But sometimes I was free. I'd go with him. We'd fish for catfish with chicken livers on the line and just chat. One of the things we talked about was Reed's concern for his granddaughter. He, his granddaughter did not fit in well at all in Warrington, North Carolina. Holly was in high school. She was one of the youth in my group, and she was different. But I, I liked her quirky spirit, but she was different. She was quiet. Well, at least she was vocally quiet. Her hair was not quiet. Her, her hair was, was crayon red and big and styled like something out of Vogue magazine. She was beautiful and had piercings. And if, if tattoos had made it to Warren County in the mid-80s, she'd have probably had them, but we we didn't know about that much in the mid-80s. If you're trying to get an image and, and you follow cartoons, this is just for a few of you, she'd remind you of Jessica Rabbit. And she lit up the room, but... When she would come into youth group, and she came all the time to youth group, she hardly ever said a word. The group would talk about uh, football or the NBC Thursday night programs or who held hands at at the tailgate bonfire. And Holly lived outside of all of those circles. But somehow, somewhere, Holly came to trust me. I think it was because her grandfather had befriended me. And she'd come to my office and she'd talk to me alone about what it feels like to be on society's margins. I told her one day you have some choices. I mean, the hair, the piercings, and well, those are choices. She said it it wasn't worth giving up her individuality to be invited to barn dances and pig pickings and tractor pulls. She heard the music of her own life and she danced to it. But she also recognized that she was peculiar in Warrington and the isolation was painful. She wanted to leave. She wanted to graduate high school, move to New York City, get a job in fashion. She wanted to leave. And one day after a particularly painful episode of exclusion, she teared up with me and in all of that hurt said, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I'm not included anywhere except by some in this youth group. They're they're the only people outside of my family who've gotten to know me at all and will even call me their friend. But everywhere else, I'm treated like a freak and I'm sick of it. I just want to leave. Well, I, I heard the pain. But I also smiled inside. And what made me smile was that somebody... Some group of people in my tiny little youth group had run alongside her carriage and sat next to her and told her she was one of us. That she did belong at church, if nowhere else. Our scripture says, That when the eunuch was included in the family of faith, baptized in the name of Jesus, that he went on his way rejoicing. That's what happens. That's what happens. But somebody has to risk running alongside and sitting next to them first. So who in this group is going to do it? Who's going to run alongside, sit next to the excluded one, and say, in Jesus' name, you are welcome and you are one of us? Or another way of asking this is if, if you got that essay question six months from now, who did you actively include how would you answer that essay question in six months? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Leon Baptist Church.